Welcome back to the Idiom Podcast. My name is Connor O'Brien. If you're new here, this is a show where we interview artists, producers, and industry experts, really anyone who we feel can help you grow as a producer. In this episode, I have a chat with Pierce Fulton. Pierce Fulton is a producer, musician, and singer originally based out of Vermont. Many of you might know him from his 2014 track, Kuwaga, as well as a recent collaboration with Martin Garrix and Mike Shinoda called Waiting for Tomorrow. He's released original music with Armada and Monster Cat, and he's remixed a ton of big artists, such as Above and Beyond and Steve Aoki. I was stoked to have Pierce on the show because he's been releasing music for nearly a decade, and he's had a very interesting career arc. In this interview, we really dive deep into his journey as an artist, talking about what inspires and motivates him as a musician. We spent nearly three hours chatting for this podcast, so to keep things clean, I've split our discussions up into two separate podcast episodes. Part one, which is what you're listening to right now, is all about his background and journey as an artist. Part two, which will be out in a few days, covers all things production, including his workflow, favorite plugins, and advice for newer producers. In this episode, we really dive deep into his journey as an artist. We talk about how he decided to quit college to pursue music full-time, and how he ended up feeling lost immediately after. We talk about his track, Kuwaga, how that came about, and how he dealt with the pressure that came with its success. We also talk about how he's worked on chasing what inspires him in music and what makes him happy as an artist. This is one of my favorite podcast interviews to date because Pierce is extremely honest and reflective about his success and struggles throughout his career. No matter where you are in your production career, you won't want to miss out on this episode because Pierce offers a ton of valuable advice on finding both happiness and success in the music industry. Again, part two of this episode will be out in a few days, so definitely keep a lookout for that. Also be sure to check out Pierce's last original EP called Hoarder's Paradise. We talk a bit about the production behind it in Monday's episode, so give it a listen before then. He's also dropping a remix EP tomorrow called Remix Collection Volume 1, which contains a handful of remixes of Pierce's original music. You can find links to all of this great music in the description right below this episode. With that, let's get to the interview. Here's the EDM Podcast with Pierce Fulton. All right, welcome back to the EDM Podcast. Today I'm joined by Pierce Fulton. Pierce, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. Now, I'd love to learn a bit about your background in music, talk about what originally got you into music, and then later on, music production. Yeah, um, I, uh, I started playing guitar when I was pretty young. Um, I think it was like maybe, I was probably five or so when I, I was at like a family wedding and um, there was a band and I just like, for some reason, like walked up to the stage and started like playing. Um, I, think, I think they're called clavs or whatever, like the little sticks that you bang together. And uh, so I just like started playing those for, for no reason. And my parents were like, well, that's weird. Like maybe he should like try some something in music. And then I think maybe like two or three years later, they um, signed me up for guitar lessons. And um, I just kind of started doing that. And then um, probably when I was around like 11 or 12, I was like, I don't want to play lessons. I just want to play like rock and roll and songs that I like. So yeah. I just stopped taking lessons and started just like learning songs and playing for fun. I wish I still, t- or I wish I kept taking lessons, but I ended up learning that kind of stuff later. Um, but then, uh, as I got into high school, I was just like playing in bands and stuff and just doing it on the side for fun. And uh, I had started producing a little bit of music because I actually, I went to Guitar Center once when I was probably like 16 or 17. And I was just kind of like talking up the uh, like sales guy at the electronic department. And I was asking about Reason and blah, blah, blah. And we were just talking for a while. And then he, I don't, I don't know who he is. And I like, 
this would probably get him fired, but he just like gave me a co- his copy of Reason, and I was like, <laughs> whoa, that's like the coolest thing ever. I, don't, I think maybe just because he liked what I had to say, I don't know, but he was like, here you go, man, like just just use like my license, and I was like, whoa, that's like the coolest thing ever. <laughs> so I started using Reason uh, with this guy's license, and uh, after maybe like two or three years of eh, maybe less than that, um, I was making kind of just like experimental like hip-hoppy stuff because i was really into that um from like snowboard videos i used to watch growing up uh and then i met a friend from venezuela in my high school who likes electronic music and that's how i got into electronic music so when you picked up reason what was your motivation going into that um i honestly i don't even know i think this guy just told me i was like i think i was curious about like sonar which is like this old program that i don't even yeah. know if it exists anymore but um I, I don't know why I was interested in sonar, but I was. Uh, I think I heard like some trance DJ use it or something. Or no, this was before electronic music. So I don't know. But he he was like, you should check out Reason. It's cool. Like you can kind of um, learn a little bit about like hardware because you're looking at these like modules that you're connecting together instead of just using like plugins that automatically route. Like you can you can flip back to the, the rack mode and like reroute things. And like I remember learning how to like sidechain compress and you had to like send a trigger into the compressor and then have the output and it, it like blew my mind because it was so weird and it didn't make any sense to me in the early days but like i'm glad i learned that way because it was like a more hands-on way but um i mean i think that's why a lot of people got into reason especially kind of in that era because if they're coming from more of like the analog specifically guitar domain the layout yeah. logistically makes sense but for somebody that just wants to produce electronic music and has no prior experience it's not nearly as user-friendly yeah, and I, I don't I think it uses audio now, but I, I'm pretty sure back when I was using it, it, it you weren't able to drag audio in. You like had to Damn. import it into a sampler and then use that sampler to trigger audio. So it was like all MIDI and uh yeah. It, was, it was good for a little bit. And then I, I like worked uh a, a few jobs and saved up for logic. And I remember I bought I, I grew up in Vermont and there are no Apple stores, so I had to go to New York City <laughs> to buy logic. <laughs> so I like I like Saved up a bunch of money and waited for like when my brother moved to New York for a job. And uh, I went and bought Logic with cash at an <laughs> Apple store. And it was so weird. But uh, that's the the same license I'm using right now was the one I bought in person with my cash from my job at a golf course. I would bet you can you can't even use cash at Apple stores anymore. No, you can't even get a physical version of Logic. I remember it, it came with like eight CDs and it took like th- yeah. three hours to install. It was horrible. Remember I had that with Native Instruments Complete that I got in um, high school where it was, you know, think about how big freaking Complete is. Um, Yeah. yeah, Isn't it insane we can download that now? It's crazy. I mean, I can't download all of it or else I wouldn't have (laughs) any room left for music in my computer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so you kind of got into production in high school, diving more into electronic music. You said you had your friend that you were kind of working with. Was it just more of a hobby for you or did you have any aspirations moving forward with it? Well, what was cool is, like I said, I was making like this kind of experimental hip hop stuff. And then um, so my friend, he was from Venezuela and he was an exchange student and um, we didn't make music together, but he just showed me what like house music was like. I'd never really like the, my only extent of electronic music was like, like, you know, uh, what's uh, the Macarena or something or like, you know, like, yeah, yeah. like the stuff that like crossed the over stuff, to the US. Like the electric yeah, yeah. slide, like yeah, the stuff yeah. that you heard that you didn't conceptualize as electronic music, but yeah. by all accounts was. And you called it like techno when you were like 14, you know? And yeah. <laughs> uh, so like that was my, my knowledge. And then he, sh- I think he showed me like a Pete Tong mix or a Carl Cox mix, which is like really like not the, I mean, 
I could be wrong in this, but it's not the easiest thing to get into or like when it's your first thing hearing. Um, but I was just fascinated by like the whole arc of a DJ set. And I was like, whoa, it's like an hour of stuff that kind of keeps changing and, and evolving. And um, and then what's what's interesting is there's one song in particular. There's there's this um, old Hatiris track okay. called like Get Blasted or something. And it had like this really, really like gnarly saw sawtooth baseline in it and i remember being like whoa that sounds really cool i want to figure out how to do that and then so i started looking up tutorials on like how to make like benny benassi sounds on reason and that's and what's funny is they were made by lucky date who i ended up playing shows with later and i remember like awkwardly telling him like dude i used to watch your videos like how to make benny benassi leads and he was like dude no way that's so cool about when was that that you're like starting to dive deeper into production um i would say probably 2009, 2008, 2009, because I was finishing up high school when I got into electronic music and I graduated in 2010. So what was that um, process like for you after, like after you graduated high school, did you go to university or just kind of focus on music at that point? What's really cool is right when I got into electronic music, I um, actually, so it was earlier than that. I, I transferred to a high school, a different high school in Vermont and um, it's the like town school, but it, it actually has this incredible music department. And um, I ended up taking like an electronic music class. And yeah, it's it's really cool. It's it's because like the the school got really nice funding for the arts, like probably 20 years ago. And um, it continues to get really good funding for the arts. And the the music department is run by like a husband and a wife. And the, the husband does like band primarily and the wife does chorus primarily, but he also offers like electronic music courses because he was into electronic music. So he was like, check this out. And like before the whole explosion of EDM in the US, he was he was teaching electronic music classes. And uh, I happened to take it like right before it really took off in the US. And um, yeah, it was really cool because I'd, I'd use Reason before that. And then he showed me um, FL Studio and then um, I think that's what we use primarily for the class. And then I ended up gravitating towards logic in the end. Um, and I think they use logic in Ableton now, but, uh, I actually go back and I, I help out every once in a while in those classes, like for like a week at a time. Um, so it's pretty fun to go full circle and, and help some kids out yeah. at the school. I mean, that's crazy. One, that there was a well-funded high school arts program in the United States and two, yeah. that that program taught you how to make music on a computer. Yeah, and it's like technically a, like an independent school or whatever, where it's like it's a public school, but you just have to live in the district to to be to go there without yeah. tuition. You know what I mean? Um, and yeah, it's just this really like it's like a gem of a school. And not only is the arts department good, it's like the whole school is really good. But uh, in particular, the the Mr. Freeburn is the name of the teacher. He's just an incredible person in in the the arts and in just the community there. And uh, yeah, that's why I try to go back even now and. Uh, yeah, that was definitely a, a like pivotal part of my exploration towards electronic music because it was right at the same time that I had discovered like house music, and uh, then after that I went to I went to college for two years and um, I was just like producing uh, in my free time and I was studying for like an economics major and that was horrible and uh, <laughs> um, but I was like putting out music for free as much as I could and. It was right when SoundCloud kind of came out. And so I was like just uploading literally everything I made and making it for free. And I didn't really care if like people heard it or not. I just always guaranteed that they could download it and like didn't want to make a big deal of it. And then as a result, people started listening because they're like, oh, cool, free song. Like, oh, I can download it. It's not like, you know, some 30 second preview or whatever. And uh, 
So I did that a lot and people kind of just started catching wind of some of my songs. Um, and then when I was a sophomore in college, I started touring a little bit and signed with my first agent. And then uh, after my sophomore year, I was touring quite a bit on like the weekends and stuff. And then I ended up leaving school because I was either going to take this tour in the fall or deny it and go back to school. And I was like, all right, I only got one shot to do this. So what was that decision like for you having that opportunity to like quit your quote unquote university career for music? Well, what's cool is I went to the University of Vermont, which is like my my hometown or you know, my home state school. So it's not like I was investing like a huge amount into college to begin with. Like if I had gone yeah. to a different school, it would have cost way more. And I got some like small scholarships from my high school. Um, so it wasn't like I was like wasting two years of tuition money and all this. You know, it's, it was a little bit of a waste, but yeah. I, I technically can go back, I think, because... Um, the credits like last a certain amount of time. I don't know when that limit is. I think it's like 10 years. So yeah. I should probably check that out. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I, I just like, I remember like talking to the admissions department and stuff and, and asking about how this all works if I do leave. And it wasn't that big a deal. So I was like, okay, I might as well just do this. And if, if all goes wrong, I'll just go back to school. Um, and so, uh, and thankfully my parents are like really supportive and they were like, at first they were like, all right, this is a little scary. Like, yeah. you, you don't know how this is going to go, blah, blah, blah. But then like, I, at that point I had been touring like every weekend. And so I was like really getting on the road and there was like kind of signs that I could do this full time. And so they were like, all right, just like be smart and don't like be an idiot. And, uh, so then, uh, I, I mean, the whole thing was like, if I ever hit rock bottom, I'll just go back to school. And so far I've gotten close a few times, but <laughs> Still not going back to school. So you've always kind of had that in mind where you do have a backup plan if music weren't working out as you would want it to. Yeah, it's it's like kind of crazy to think about going back to school. I don't I don't like I can't actually visualize myself doing it, but it's like always there. If I I, I honestly seriously debated it like maybe a year and a half ago um, just because I was like a little like lost on what I wanted to do musically. So I was like, oh, maybe I'll just like go study something and get inspired in a different way. But I didn't end up biting the bullet. I definitely want to touch on that in a second. And the reason why I'm asking you about that decision is we have a lot of people that come to our website and listen to this podcast that are wondering whether or not they should go to university or if they should drop out because they want to pursue a career in music. And, you know, every situation is very complex. There's no kind of catch all answer. But it's interesting to hear from your background, like what motivated you and made you confident to feel like, hey, I can take a step away from this. I've got a backup plan just in case things don't work out. But I've got some opportunities here that I just can't see myself letting go of right now. Yeah, I mean, and that was the only reason why I left school. I wouldn't recommend anyone leave school unless there was something that was like either this or that. You know what I mean? If you could do both. Like I, I toured, I, I made it like I remember my my first agent was like, all right, you're going to make all your classes not go on Monday and Friday because you're going to need those days and so i put all my classes on tuesday and thursday and they were like the worst days ever it was like 8 a.m to yeah. 8 p.m classes but i got to tour on the weekends and i got to like have mondays and fridays to sleep or study and 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 what's crazy is like in the in the peak of my touring as a student i actually did the best academically i don't know how interesting i think because i just had to like cram stuff in and i had to like not like I, I, I'm the type of person that if I have a test, I study for like three weeks before and then I end up like overthinking every answer. And then I like kind of kick myself and uh, like fall on my own sword type thing. And uh, 
So I think that semester where I was touring a lot, I just like didn't overthink things. I would read it and just like comprehend it right away and then go and take the test or whatever. And I ended up doing pretty well. Um, but yeah, my, my advice is like, unless you're like, it's like impossible for you to stay in school, just stay in school. Like it's it, I, some of my favorite times as a music maker was when I was in college and I was like going to the library because I couldn't focus on making music in my dorm. And I would, I've, I made so many of my early songs just in my library, like the library of my college. And, uh, that was some of the most satisfying times in my musical career where I was just excited. And, you know, I had like a, a, a kind of hunger and, and like, it's hard for people that are in that situation to understand that, but that's like the best time in your creative life when you're like, you want to get out of there, but you like can't quite. It's like, yeah. there's something magical about that. And I, I like wish I could have made that last longer, but I guess that's just life. Um, but uh, that's my only like recommendation is like, don't like just jump right out and like assume like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll figure something out. Like have something that's gonna pull you out of college if that is it. There's this idea that I talk about a lot, which is don't jump until you see the landing. Yeah. Which essentially means like, if you're gonna pursue music full time and chase that as a career, you need to be reasonably confident that that's gonna work out for you. With you, yeah. you had a tour that you were going on and knew that you were getting paid for that tour and could pay yeah. the bills for at least a little bit while you were getting your career accelerated to a point. But for a lot of people that, you know, even if you're really, really driven and want to turn this into a career, it's important to take a step back and understand where you're at. And if you don't know what's going to happen the next year, then personally, I'm pretty conservative when it comes to this. Don't roll the dice and like value whatever opportunities you have. So many people yeah. have gotten their start like you. You developed your sound and got to that point where you were touring while you were in college doing well in classes that there's no reason that everyone else listening to this can't do that as well. Yeah. And like, granted, like, I did get extremely lucky with that situation. You know, that doesn't just happen to everyone. But like, I just was kind of like dealing with it as the things would come my way. Like, I wasn't really yeah. planning. I didn't plan. I didn't go into it planning on leaving school. I thought I was going to like get a job and then just figure it out. I didn't, I didn't really have a plan to like be a DJ. I just, it just kind of happened. And so that's why it's like, it's kind of hard to give people advice on that. Cause some people have that end game of like, I want to go and do what you're doing. And I was like, Oh, why well, just, it just kind of like started happening. And I was like rolling with it as it came. And so that's probably why it wasn't very reckless. So was it always just a hobby for you? Like while you were getting better and like starting to get some notoriety on SoundCloud? Yeah. And I mean, like, obviously I had like low key, like, oh, it'd be cool if I could go do this. But like, yeah, it wasn't like my end game to be like a uh, specifically a DJ. Like I was just making music. I never even really DJed that much. I had like done it for fun and didn't think I was going to do it as a job. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it's it's funny to, to think about how, like I haven't really thought about it in a while because it's so, I, I've been doing this for like 10 years now making music uh, and uh it's just kind of crazy to put myself back in those shoes because, yeah, I just was like in college and I didn't expect much outside of that. Um, but it started to just happen without me thinking about it, you know, and I think that's probably why it was easy to make those decisions because it just happened. So you end up going on tour, quitting college. Kind of where were you at in your career? Um, this was 2012. I was about to put out my songs called uh, Sink or Swim and Mr. Mime. Okay. And uh I, I just, so I had finished my sophomore year. I forget what I did that summer tour wise, but, uh, 
I think I played a bit that summer. And then the reason I left school is I got offered to do a support tour for Wolfgang Gartner in 2012. And so that was like, that's why I was like, all right, I could say no to this and then be like, why didn't I do that? You yeah. Know? So I did it. And then I ultimately moved to Brooklyn, New York, um, because I was touring enough where I could afford to live there. And so I, I moved there and I was like 19 when I moved in and it was really weird living in New York city as a 19 year old, but my brother was living there who was managing me. And then the bigger management company that we had both got pulled on to. So I was like, all right, cool. I'll just be near them. Um, but honestly, and why I recommend not like just jumping the ship out of college, like those, the first like six months after that Wolfgang tour where I was living in New York and I was just like this kid in New York, um, I was pretty like, uh, it kind of messed me up a little bit. Like I, I was very uh, fish out of water. Like, you know, I grew up in Vermont and then moved to Brooklyn and lived alone and was just like, I would wake up and I'm like, all right, this is my job now, I make music. And yeah. it definitely like messed with my head a little bit because I just, the, the like amateur spirit of it went away. Cause you know, like the, the, the traditional definition of an amateur is someone that does it for the love, not for a job or money. And that's where the difference of amateur and professional come in. It's like, you know, the professional does it because it's their job. The amateur does it because they love it. Yeah. And that whole amateur side just was like suddenly thrown out. And I was like suddenly a professional and that, definitely like tripped me up at the beginning and i remember getting pretty bummed out yeah. on certain days when i just like wasn't making stuff and i still get that way i mean it's this is a weird job to have because you're just relying on your creativity all the time mm -hmm. and like the amount of freaking songs i've written and like now like every time i dive into a new project you run through those motions of like okay it's going to go through this whole arc of when it's a new idea and it's exciting and then you get to a certain point where you're kind of sick of it and then you have to, you know, you either make yeah. a choice to keep going with it or not. And it's like when you've done that dance so many times, it, it gets pretty crazy. But at the beginning, I didn't know that that dance existed. So I was just going like, oh my God, I'm writing so much bad music and I can't believe I chose to do this as my job and blah, you know. And so it, it was pretty tough to deal with uh, that early on. Um, and on top of it, I was touring all the time. So I like wasn't really like getting a normal daily life and i wasn't being very healthy and yeah so it was it was a it was an intense it was fun and i i hate to to fixate on the the like tough parts of it but um it definitely affected my my music like i didn't really put out consistent music that during that period because i wasn't really doing that great of a job of doing it as a as a professional yeah I and mean, i feel like that was even realer for you as somebody that didn't necessarily plan on this as being a career for them where you're kind of like thrown into this thing and then there's all these unexpected problems that arise when you are working full-time on music. That mind shift between a amateur and professional, I think gets to a lot of people. Yeah, it's it's super real. And like, you know, it, it, the thing is, is it, it exists on a lot of level. And obviously it's it's all in your own head. That's the, that's the, the like biggest, um, I don't know, like that's the craziest aspect of it. Is it like to everyone else, I could look like I'm totally fine. But like when you're alone and you're thinking that, oh, okay, this is my job. I get paid for this now. It's like something happens in your brain where you start kind of overthinking things. It's the same thing as like what I was talking about in school when, when I was touring and I would just like have a few, like a day or two to study for a test and I would take the test. I would do well because I wasn't overthinking it. Yeah. But if I had all the time in the world to study, I would study so much and then I would go, oh, okay, you know, that word is a little wrong. So that means that's yeah. false. And, and instead I'm just overthinking like stupid tiny words in a true and false question. So it's like, 
that happens when you when you jump head first into a career that's creative sometimes you you like can have too much time to mull over all these things where when i was talking about like loving my time in college when i would make music in the library i would have a couple hours in between classes or in between studying and like i would just devote that time to making music and i would get the music done and i wouldn't really think about it too much so that's like my biggest warning whenever anyone jumps into this as a career is you suddenly it it becomes your full thing it becomes your the thing you think about when you wake up and the thing you go to sleep thinking about and you know it's it's pretty it's a crazy shift i think it's it's a blessing and a curse and every yeah if you do get lucky enough to be in that position you have to learn how to manage that best for yourself definitely um you know i feel like a common thing that people do is trying their best to stick to a nine to five schedule monday through friday then they have the weekends off so they have some contrast for music everyone kind of has yeah. their workflow for what they've found helps them as a creative to be able to continue to support themselves but sadly it's not that easy it is not that easy <laughs> it uh you know like i i sometimes am very jealous of people that have legitimate nine to fives where I, like you know five o'clock hits and they're done like they, there's no possible way they could do more work because their thing is closed or whatever yeah but like when you make music it could be two in the morning and you suddenly wake up and you're like oh gosh i should do that to this song and you go and you do it and there's something a little taxing about that sometimes running your own business is essentially what you're doing as an artist which gives you yeah. the freedom where you don't have to report to anyone except maybe a label yeah. but at the same time no one's going to do the work other than you well even weirder right now is i don't have a la like i self-release everything and i am self-published and so like everything is in my control which is great but it's also like really weird because there are no deadlines there are no requirements for anything and you just kind of like do stuff when you do stuff and you get it done in your own time and hope that it works and yeah so i want to spin it back to you being in a bit of a hole mentally and musically while you were in brooklyn talk about some of the things that help you get out of that the in hindsight uh friends and like social life definitely like it's really easy to think that like you need to just make tunes all the time and and put so much work into your into your craft and while it is super necessary i think it's also really necessary to like go and have fun and be with people and not think about your your music um yeah. but on the flip side of that is it, yeah you have to devote a lot of time to just making stuff and also not getting super attached to everything like that's something i learned it took me a while to learn and i'm still having a hard time with it but um it's just realizing that not every song is going to be good and also especially not every idea like the amount of idea like the ratio that i have between ideas to songs that come out is probably like 50 to 1 like yeah. i make like 50 <laughs> stupid ideas that i would never want anyone to hear and then one of those i'm like okay that's cool um and it's really tough sometimes because you're you're on like idea 49 that's like oh my god i like literally can't make music anymore and then finally that next day you make a new one and you're like, oh, I can, it's, <laughs> everything's okay. And that's how it feels sometimes. Like, uh, and I think that, that that happens just when you've done it enough and also when you have all the time in the world to make ideas, you know, it's, it's just so easy to like be very casual about it. But I, I also have a different dilemma because I work alone a lot. So it's like a lot of pressure on myself. And I really, I want to start working with more people more often. Um, mm -hmm. And like I have a group I started that is going to be like a side project coming out soon, which is nice. And it's a good first step in that direction. But um, for anyone that works alone a lot, just realize it is it's hard on, on yourself and, and it, you can get really in your head and psych yourself out. And yeah, I, I do it still. I've been doing this for 10 years and I, I still get psyched out by myself. So it's um, 
just remember that it's it's a common side effect if you're experiencing the same thing. I was having that conversation with one of my like former mentees yesterday who has been like thrust into all of these writing sessions and is just at the beginning of every week just has no confidence, but by the end of it has something worth showing. And I think that's kind of going back to what you said earlier, so much of it is just trusting yourself that you've been through that process before. When you're yeah. on idea 51, you have to know, hey, I've done this before. Not every idea is going to be perfect, but I have to trust myself because I've been able to perform at some point in the past. Yeah, I think confidence in this case is like knowing that that's the process. It's not like going like, I'm so skilled and I'm going to make a good idea. It's going like, there are going to be some bad ideas and that's fine and I'm not going to get psyched out about it. That's confidence to me. Yeah. You know? Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it, and it, it takes a while to learn that and to understand that that's a thing. It's a process. It's not like an overnight switch that happens when you, theoretically, if you got signed to your favorite label, it's not like, okay, immediately I have all the confidence in the world. There's so much more that goes into it. And it's a you know progressive process where you do begin to be able to trust yourself and build that confidence. Yeah. And I mean, like you can, you can be listening to your favorite song and have no idea that that artist is super unconfident or was like super thrown off by that song that you love. And that, that's just the, that's the, the whole craziness with making art is everyone is unique and everyone has their own unique connection to what they do and, and how it makes them feel. Like I have songs that some people really like of mine that I like can't stand listening to. And it's just because I had an experience with it that didn't really help me. And, and then but it might have helped someone else. And like, it's just a crazy thing that that happens. So I want to kind of hear a bit more. You got out of that funk while you were in Brooklyn. I'd love to hear more about how you developed and grew to the point where you were releasing on CR2 and then had what I consider to be one of your breakthrough tracks in Kawaga. Um, well, so I was already releasing on CR2 when I was in Brooklyn. Um, I had, I think I signed my CR2 deal when I was in college still i was like in between freshman and sophomore year um so i had put out some songs with them and then um i think in between sink or swim and kuaga was a song called runaway and old man in the sea um and so i was kind of just I, I, like i think i was doing a lot of remixes and i was trying to put out like a few originals every year um and that was my growth for a long time where i would just like do like these two track singles and then a bunch of remixes in between. And it was a really good way of like building up my catalog, getting people familiar with my music and hitting a lot of different areas with, with my music. Like, I, I think if I didn't do those remixes, I would have had a hard time connecting with people. Um, especially cause at that time, like in 2012, 2013 remixes were like really, really big for some reason. I don't, I don't yeah. know why they have a moment and then don't really, but like they were like really important at that time. I don't know why. Um, so I, I was doing a lot of remixes, um, and then I would start to get like some cool opportunities. Like I remember I got asked to remix like Dada Life, and then I got asked to remix, uh, Above and Beyond. And then, um, yeah, so like the, the like remix requests started to ramp up a little bit because I was just putting out stuff and people were catching wind of it and whatever. And then, um, as a result, I would put out new originals and then I would have like these new connections like you know to above and beyond and I would send them like Kuaga before it was out and then they started playing that and then you know what I mean it kind of just all keeps building on itself and so I was really really good at like seeing windows of opportunity whether it was like a remix and then trying to make the most of it by like doing the remix and then being like oh check out my new song yeah and then sending that you know and then uh so I did that a lot and like for example with Dada Life I did their remix and then I did a few shows with them I think I did like five shows with Dada Life so it was like 
everything that I did, I would try to like make the most of it instead of just letting it happen and pass by. Like, you know, whether it was shows or sending them more music to play in their shows. Um, I always tried to like create that further connection. Where did that mentality come from for you? You know, I think my dad always taught me like, if you meet someone, you know, you, you give them the time of day. You like, you talk to people for more than just a thing. You know, you, you try to create a, a connection in a, in, a, in a relationship with everyone. You don't just neglect anyone. And so even when like people send me music, you know, I, I have a hard time listening to all the music that I get sent. But like, if I meet someone in person and I talk to them and have a great conversation and they send me their music, I will like absolutely love to listen to their music, no matter what it sounds like, even if it's totally weird yeah. and I don't get it, I will be happy to just see what they have to do because i've met them and i have that connection so i try to do that with people so like you know when i remixed above beyond i tried to like create that connection further and and send them stuff and uh yeah i just it's just like taking see it's like seizing the moment if you have a moment of their attention you try to seize it and don't be like annoying and don't like overextend your welcome but like just try to solidify the connection whatever that might be i love that just being a human connecting as humans first and then working music into it. Yeah, it's. It, I think that's the like secret formula that a lot of people don't talk about is that like, the less you're industry leaning, I think the better it is in your favor. If you're just a person and you're nice and you develop a good relationship, I think that's more important than anything. So as I mentioned earlier, Kawago is kind of one of your bigger tracks. What was that like for you to have, like I said, what I consider to be more of like a breakthrough track mentally? Um. I mean, it was, it, it's amazing because it's, it's like had this life that I did not predict. I mean, like th that song was like technically a throwaway. Like I, I thought that that song was going to be like, I, I was reaching the end of my deal with CR2. So I was like, okay, you can have this progressive house song and then I'm going to start doing some different music. And so I like sent it to them being like, will this work? And they were like, yeah, it's cool. <laughs> and, uh, um, but the, the secret that I, with that song is I sent it around to DJs like really early, like way before it came out. And like that wouldn't really work now because people want things so instantly. But that was still like when you'd buy songs on Beatport and like Spotify didn't exist and like uh, or maybe it did, but it was very early. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I just like I promoted that song really heavily early on and somehow people heard it, which was cool. Um, but I did not expect that song to do well. I thought it was just going to be like a song that some DJs played and then moved on. But um, it's had this whole other life. And uh, yeah, it's crazy. It's like it's in the, the some Spotify playlist called like Dance Hits. And like that is crazy to me. It's like, it, you know, it has like I Remember by Dead Mouse, which was like the song that got me into dance music. And then somehow my song is in that playlist. And I'm like, oh, my God. Did weird. you feel pressure on yourself after that did what it did? Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of, a lot of fans were like, make it again, make it again. And I'm like, okay. And like, I, I made songs that I like, you know, followed a similar formula. Like I have this song called in reality. And that to me was like a really good follow-up to it where it had like a small pitched vocal and it had like a nice arpeggiated lead thing. And like, it wasn't exactly the same, but it was very similar. And I don't know, they didn't go, thank you. You made the thing again. But it, it's silly to like, I, I've learned over, over my time and experience doing this is that like you just you can't make everyone happy and you can't like just expect to satisfy everyone so you just have to do what you think is cool and then ultimately people will find that cool too and it's it's a bummer because like even this week i get messages going hey i love quagga when are you gonna make something else like that and i'm like it's been five years and like i i i understand that you like this song but like even if i make it 
almost exactly the same, you're going to be like, yeah, it's okay. Yeah. You know, that's just like how it works. It's just like, like the song and, and, and listen to it as much as you want. And then hopefully maybe you'll like the other stuff that I come up with. But like, yeah, it's weird, man. I, I, I need to talk to more people that have had similar things. Cause I don't really like, I don't know if this is the best approach, but that's just the approach that I've learned to, to go with. It's just like, keep trusting yourself. Cause you'll make something else that'll do like something like that. I mean, I think going back to what you said earlier, you're not going to make everyone happy with your music. Yeah. So the way that I see it is you might as well make yourself happy because you can't yeah. guarantee success. But if I can guarantee that I'm going to be happy making music, I'm winning, especially if this is just a hobby for me. Yeah, definitely. I had this conversation with Kill Paris on our podcast in the previous episode, who might be somebody good to talk to about that. And we were chatting before the episode and I was thinking about all the Kill Paris music that I listened to back in college and high school, which was back in like 2012, 2013. And these are songs that I still love. But I'm like, dude, it's been like eight years since you've released these records. How do you feel about them? Things that are kind of classics to me, but have been so dated, but gave him the opportunities that he has now. Just interesting. I don't have that kind of perspective, but I'm sure you have similar insights on yeah. it. How did he like them? He still has a fondness for him. He talked about kind of the yeah. arc where you love something and then it gets released and then you're like, I never want to touch that record again. That's like my old dated sound. And then enough time passes yeah. and then you kind of almost gain like nostalgia for it. You're like, how did I make that record after like a year or two? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. 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 My thing is, is like, I'm just like in a different place than I was when I made that song. So, and it, it, the thing that sucks is like, I remember hearing like my favorite producers would have a big song and then they would do this where they're like, I'm not making it again. And like me as the fan, I'd be like, come on, just make it yeah. again. Just make something similar. And like now I'm doing that and I've become that thing that I didn't like. And so it like partly infuriates me that I'm being this way and that I can't just be like, all right, just make another song that's like it. But like I said, I have tried and I did it in the window where it kind of made sense. It was like maybe a few months after it came out, I just like did stuff sonically similar. And uh, and one of them was even like super similar because the label kept asking me to make it more similar. So I was like, okay, <laughs> if you're going to say yeah. so. And, and it was like a big remix. So I was like, all right, sure, I'll do it. And, uh, and at that point, fans were like, okay, this is kind of too similar. And I was like, all right, well, whoops, sorry next time um but uh no I, I i'm i'm very curious to like explore because my thing i think my probably greatest strength which was also my greatest weakness is that I, I can't really just like keep putting out the same thing it just drives me crazy like if if i go back into a project and it has like the same stuff and i used to do this a little bit because i just i was learning and i was developing a sound but like n right now if it has all the same parts as an older song of mine, it kind of irks me. And and if it just like hits the same vein, I'm trying to like always explore for something new. Like if you listen to my discography in like chronological order, you'll hear that I always am trying a new technique and then maybe I'll try it on another song or another two songs and then I move on to something else. And like, that's a blessing and a curse, I think, because you're constantly looking for something new, but you're, you're not like, you're not, um, I don't know, making the most of what you've already created. And, and like, you know, I, I listen to people like Audion or Artie and like, they have like created their sound for themselves and they just keep nailing it. You know what yeah. I mean? Like they keep doing it. And I think that's great. And I think that that is like a winning formula for someone that wants a long-term career in music. And I, I think I've taken this like kind of stupid route <laughs> where I just like keep trying new stuff. And then I'm like, oh, I'm a singer now. And then I'm like, so I sing on an album. And then I'm like, oh, I'm going to make, you know, drum and bass or something. And then I do that. And like, you know, it's, I just always want to try new stuff, which is cool. But, um, where do you feel like that comes from for you? 
I think it's just my nature. I've always done that. You know, when I was like yeah. a kid, I like would start a t-shirt company and then be like, yeah, I make t-shirts. And then like, you know, two years later, I'm like, okay, I'm done making t-shirts. This is boring. And so I started playing guitar again. And I'm like, all right, I play guitar again. And I'm going to be in a band. And so I'm in a band and then we're in a band. And then I'm like, all right, I like electronic music. So it's, I guess it's just my personality. And, and, and I think that's why it is like dangerous that it is my job because that's my nature, but I'm like, I've slowly kind of figured out a way to make that work for me. Um, I mean, I've lasted this long. Um, I don't know. I'll, I'll see Let's how much longer right? it lasts. Yeah. I don't know. You kind of mentioned earlier that in the past year, year and a half, you were starting to feel a bit more lost musically. I'd love to dive deeper into how you went from the quagga in reality kind of sound and then like figuring out what you wanted to move into from there. Like you said, you were moving on to something new. Talk about like what that process was that kind of led you to where you've been recently. Um, well, I, I think I just got tired of making like four on the floor progressive house. And so I just was like looking for something new. And then, um, as a result, I, I did like a few remixes and you can kind of hear it in my progression of sound. Like, if you hear stuff like Kuaga and then you hear my song like Landmines, that was like the first time I put guitar on a song. And then my song No More, which came after that, had like acoustic guitar that was really prominent in it. And then yeah. after that, I think I did like Losing You, which had some live stuff. And then I did an EP where I started singing. And it's like very, it's still very like at the beginning of me exploring this stuff. So I wouldn't say it's totally there yet. And I still am not totally there yet, but then I did my album Better Places, and so I just was like taking a full stab at that whole thing, but also making some progressive stuff. So I don't know. I I just keep trying new things, and I think the sad thing is, is like for for maybe a long time listener that can be confusing sometimes. But I think yeah. some people get it, which is cool, and some people are like are a fan of everything, and some people really just like my progressive stuff, or some people really just like my kind of live stuff, and. Uh, at, at the end of the day, it's like you can look at anyone's discography and usually they've kind of experimented and you just kind of you, you keep what you like and you just don't really listen to what you don't like. And I think that's just how it goes. You're not going to yeah. always like everything that anyone makes. But um, for me, it's it's confusing because I, I think I almost even get ahead of myself where then I don't even know what I like to make. Like, <laughs> no, it's weird. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of in that like literally right now. It's It's like when you kind of like set out a, a checklist of all your goals and then you like quickly go through your goals you're left kind of like what do i do now you know yeah. like i was like all right i'm gonna try singing because like i'm tired of waiting on vocalists and getting top lines back that i don't like or resonate with like lyrically so i was like all right i'm just gonna start writing and singing and at first it was horrible and i was really bad and like it took a really long time to just like keep learning and i think that determination helped me um, and now I'm pretty comfortable with my skills and just like how I can write and, and what I can get away with vocally. But, um, now I'm kind of like tired of singing and I don't really want to like sing all the time. And so, but then I'm like, what do I do now? Like, do I shift back mm -hmm. to progressive stuff? Do I try to do some more singing? So I'm like, I'm always bouncing between what I want to do. Um, but right now I'm like, the pendulum has taken a rest, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. It's like. I need to like get a kick into the pendulum again and uh and granted like i'm always working it's just that i don't really for the first time in a while i don't really know where i'm going and maybe that's a good thing but uh yeah it's weird usually like i said you know like in my decisions for leaving school and in my decisions for uh, taking certain opportunities I, they've just come at my come to me and i've like 
made a gut decision and reacted. And for, for once, I don't really have like decisions flying my way. And it's like, I just have the power of what I can do. And it's weird. How do you feel like you manage? It's almost like choice anxiety when you have so many opportunities for what to do, yeah. especially the fact that you've got your chops as a producer. And now you've got your chops as a singer and as a musician. How do you deal with all of the choices that are presented to you, given the fact that there's so many different lanes that you can go into? And presumably you're interested in a lot of different styles and genres. No, I mean, I, I think it, it's like I've worked so hard to become so independent in a sense of the way I make music, the way I release music, the way I do everything with my music, where, you know, like, unless I have a collaborator on one of my songs, it's usually me writing it 100%. And so, like, I'm, I worked so hard to do that. But then, like you said, I, I run into kind of choice anxiety where I just, like, you, you, you kind of, like, revolve around this decision circle and it's really weird yeah. and like you know i have all these demos that are really good and i could probably put them out and they're they would do okay but like i just still am not comfortable just putting out stuff that just for the sake of putting out stuff or like the same thing is like you know i gr I, I grappled with dealing with social media for a while because i you know i was working with a lot of people that would be like all right you should post this and post a picture and, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. and i was like okay and you know i'm not i'm not really an outwardly very social person i like to talk to people but i don't really like like posting about my life all the time it's not the most appealing thing to me and so it was it was weird at first like being so visible on social media because it just didn't really resonate with me and then i started taking it you know tapering it back and then you start seeing that like when you don't do it as much it starts to go down when you do do it and then you're like oh geez i'm just kind of like kicking myself for not doing it and so like it's weird how this kind of stuff like y you're left to decide for yourself what you want and so mm -hmm. If you really want that, you can do it. But if you don't really want it, then you don't do it. But you, then you you like suffer from the consequences of not doing it. And so it's like entirely up to you. It's not someone doing it for you. And I've worked really hard to just do it all myself. But I think in that process, I've kind of like pushed myself into a corner a little bit. And uh, now, like you said, I have kind of choice anxiety of like, I don't really like posting all the time, but I do like to post when I have something to talk about. I don't just like posting for no reason in the same vain i don't like just putting out music for no reason i like to like put out something that i think is going to add to the world and right now there's a lot of bs going around in music and in just content there's just like stuff everywhere and it drives me crazy because it's like quality has gone down so much and it's really hard if you're someone that cares about quality to like just swallow your thoughts and be like it doesn't matter just like focus on your stuff and put out your stuff when you want to because you like it because it's easy to just think, oh, everyone else is putting out all this stuff, so I should be putting out more music, or I should be posting more, and whatever. Yeah. And it's like, it's freaky, man. It's, it's it, it, like, unless you really like that, and some people do, and I think that that's great, and then that's this is a great job for them if you really like posting pictures yourself or talking about yourself all the time. Um, well, they're lucky. <laughs> yeah, no, there. I mean, it's a great it's a great job for them, yeah. I, I just can't do it. I don't really like taking pictures of myself, so it's like, it's, it's not the best job. <laughs> I can, yeah. I can put on like an act and do it and I'm totally fine with doing it. But like, if I'm left up to my own accord to be like, all right, I'm going to take a picture of myself now to post. I'm like, no, I, what's the point? You know, <laughs> looking back, is there anything that you feel like you would have done differently post kind of your Kawaga break for the Pierce Fulton project? Um, 
Not really, because like, I think that even if I kept doing exactly the same sound, I would probably be in the same place mentally and like with my music, you know, not, not necessarily like the, the style wise, but I don't think that sticking with that Kuaga sound would have like thrust me into the stratosphere of music. You know what I mean? It's, it's progressive house and like some people like it and I think that's cool. And but I didn't totally love it forever. I, I, you know, I liked playing that stuff for a long time, but then I got tired of it and I just started making other stuff that I liked. And, and I think even though I can get myself into these ruts where I have too many choices and I, I try too many things, uh, I'd rather have that than feel stuck from like doing the same thing all the time. Yeah. It's like weird because some people can see that on paper and be like, why wouldn't you just keep doing that? And I sometimes think that, why didn't I just keep making Kuago and over and over and over again and I realized because it just wouldn't be that good and it wouldn't I wouldn't feel comfortable putting out songs that aren't that great you know that song is great because it was just like a spark of inspiration and I got it out and I I did it and I finished it and I put it out I didn't overthink it but if I were to start calculating that it, the quality would slowly go down and you could tell certain certain artists that just keep doing the same thing over and over again and you get you get tired of it I do I don't know if everyone does but all that matters is you're making stuff that you think is cool and I think that that is like the lesson that everyone should remember. It's just like make stuff you think is cool and don't give a shit about the rest. Like it, it's the rest is fine. Like if it's successful, that's great. If it's not, try to just stick with it and do it because you love it. And that's something I try to remind myself. And like that's that's why when I look at on paper, oh, post Kuaga, should I have kept doing that? No, I didn't really love doing that style after a while. And so it's kind of like a, it's like a, disservice to my listeners if i'm putting out stuff that i don't like so given everything that we've talked about right now what is kind of your mentality towards music and your career and just like surviving in the industry in general it took took me a long time to realize this but people say you know like you hear so many like uh accomplished people talk about like how simple things are and like how it's you know in the end of the day it's just like doing what you need to do and what you love and you can go like, ah, oh, but it's not that easy. There's all these other factors. But like the reality is if you're a music maker and you're making music, regardless of if you're successful or if you're in your bedroom and you're making your first song, if you're making a song that makes you excited and makes you happy in that moment or however long after, that's all that matters. Like if that moment makes you happy and you want to share that with the world. And then when you like when you upload that song, that's not your song anymore. It's, it's the world's like you're giving it out to the world for them to enjoy and like so as a result you might not like it as much as they do after but if you like it in that moment of you making it that's all that should matter if you don't like it while you're doing it then you shouldn't be doing it and i do that all the time i sometimes am making songs and i'm like this is so stupid and yeah. then i finally go okay pierce stop if you don't like the song why the heck would you put it out in the world and i go oh because people will like it oh they liked kuaga so they'll like this and it's like no but if i don't like it then it's just like if it even if it gets so successful that i'm going to be pissed because i didn't like it you know what i mean yeah it, it doesn't make sense so but if you're doing a song that you love and two people like it and you're like ah oh, crap okay well, i'll try again you do it again and you do it again and you do it again because you love it then when that song takes off you're happy because you did something you love and that thing has a second life of its own you know and and it like it's really hard to get it out of your head like to not do it for the satisfaction of people listening but like you know when you do it enough you do think about that a lot it, it, it'd be i'd say a lot of people are lying if they say they don't think about that when they're creating like oh well people like this like it's very hard to drown that out of your head but as long as you can support it in the end and be happy about it 
then if people like it, that's great. And if they don't like it, at least you feel like you did something for yourself, you know? Absolutely. Relating this back to kind of my own experience with music production, one of the biggest breakthroughs that I've had is to make music for myself. Yeah. And I think for so long, for kind of the beginning of my career with production, I was so focused on getting on certain labels and, you know, getting certain artists to play out my tracks that it crippled myself because I wasn't making music for myself whatsoever. Everything yeah. was just to get on these specific labels. And the second I threw that away, my music was a thousand times better and I was having way more fun because I wasn't focused on getting to a particular sound or a particular mix or getting it to be able to fit next to some other artist. And like I said, in the end, my music ended up being better because I was able to let go of that. But kind of like you said, there is that double-edged sword where you always have that voice in your head, will people like this? And I think the key for me at least has been to learn how to filter that so that you can take enough to be able to make your music as great as it can be without letting that stop you from creating something that you want or creating something that you don't want. Yeah. And I mean, it, it, it's, yeah, it, it really is a, a strange phenomenon. And like, like, for example, my, my brother who manages me, he, he started making music for himself like a year ago. And because he's managed artists, He's like not trying to like appeal to something or someone or like some, he's just making music because he thinks it's interesting. And yeah. it's so like inspiring to me to, cause he just sends me all of his songs and I just like check them out and give him tips if I think that something should be added or whatever. But like, it's just awesome that he's like literally making it the same way that like a guy with an office job goes home and like paints. And I don't see that much very often, like any much anymore because I'm surrounded by a lot of people that do this as their jobs. And so it's it's really hard to get back to that mentality for me because I've just gotten so used to being like, I should do this because this is going to work in this way and it's going to appeal to this and that and that and that and people DJ and whatever. Um, but no, I, I, I am fully aware of the the uh, the the power of doing it entirely for yourself, but it, it, it is hard. It's like you do make compromises for certain things. And um, that's I think that's still the dilemma I'm, I'm dealing with today even. Kind of rolling that back, what advice would you give to somebody that's just starting out with production, kind of related to that idea of experimenting, having fun with it to kind of build like a healthy mentality towards creating music? Well, it's, it's very, I mean, it's, it's similar, but different. Like, you know, when, when a lot of wealthy people talk about, like, if you're in it to make a bunch of money and like be happy, it's not like you're going to be in the same place as you are with or without the money. It's like you have to be happy doing what you're doing and be feel fulfilled with your life, not because of a material thing. And so the same thing could be said with like getting your songs released on certain labels or whatever. Like it does feel good and it's cool to be part of a community, whatever. But if your only end game is like for an achievement and not because it makes you feel good, then it's going to be really hard to deal with that. And um, yeah. and so but at the same time, if your end goal, like if, if what makes you happy is making money and like doing these things that make money or whatever, then you'll find satisfaction in that. You always have to go back to find what works for you. Yeah. And like for me, like I, I have a hard time answering this stuff just because it is something I grapple with a lot myself. It's just like, yeah, you know, I see the opportunity that I've created for myself with what I've made. And but for some reason I turn my head and I make this strange music because I'm like, oh, I need to explore new territories. But like, it's as simple as sitting down and just making another dance song that works in DJ sets. And, but for some reason it's, it's pretty hard for me to like, just commit to that. And um, I think it's because I'm, I'm not in it to fill in a box. I'm just in it to like make stuff and see what happens. And uh, 
Yeah, I don't know. I always tell people that I don't want to be an artist. I want to be happy. And if being an artist and having an artist project is a part of that, awesome. But at the end of the day, I need to figure out what works for me to be the happiest human that I can be. And if music's a part of that, if an artist project is a part of that, that's awesome. But if it's not, I'm perfectly fine with letting that go so that I can do whatever I can to make my life as happy as it can be. Yeah. Cheesy, but that's at least the way that I see it. No, no. And I mean, as long as I try to like pull it back to the love for the music, then that, that's all that matters. Now with that, we will wrap things up for this episode. Don't forget we got part two coming your way in just a few days where we dive deep into Pierce's production workflow. In the meantime, you can check out Pierce Fulton's music in the description of this episode, so give that a listen as this podcast is just about over.